0: Hi, welcome to Digging, the only podcast focused solely on infrastructure in the heavy civil construction industry. I'm your host, Taylor Mauer, Senior Managing Partner at HCRC Heavy Civil Resource Consultants. In this podcast, we explore challenges faced in the industry, investigate the effects of politics, the economy, trends, including stories of success and stories of failure. It is our goal to provide interesting and informative discussions to help educate heavy civil construction professionals be more successful and to cultivate the industry as a whole. So let's dig in. All right, Jorge, thank you so much for joining us on this episode for of our podcast Digging. Um, we're going to be discussing diversity, equity and inclusion. Jorge is the vice president of people and culture at Granite Construction which is one of the largest construction companies in the country top in our E&R construction companies and I believe the largest in California at least on the civil side of the business. Yep. Jorge I'd love to start off and talk about your career and where you started and how you got to where you are. Can you please share that with us?
1: Yeah, no, Taylor, thank you so much. First of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, I think you're doing some really great things. And when you, when you can amplify um, the work that gets done uh, in the industry like you're doing, I, I think um, you know anything to, to, to do that, I'm all in. So, so really appreciate you having me on the podcast here. So Jorge Quesada, I'm the vice president of people and culture, like you mentioned. I've been here now going on three years. And I will tell you that, um, you know, people have asked me before, did you choose diversity, equity, inclusion, or did diversity, equity, inclusion choose you? Um, Sure. And and I love telling that story in the bio side of it is because I would tell you that the work chose me. I I say it's a calling. Um, I used to talk about the impact that my mom had on me in my career. She's a single parent raising me and the decisions that that I saw her make uh, were based on some of the things that she had to deal with from a gender perspective. So I think early on um, I was had this, I was being um, groomed to say, right, to be in this work because I saw from a gender perspective the things that she had to do. Um, but um, originally from San Salvador, El Salvador, immigrated to the United States in uh, 1969. Um, by 1974, we had made our way over to Los Angeles. So, grew up. My formative years had been in Los Angeles. Went to school there. Um, when I graduated, I started at All uh, at Allstate. Um, so, f- um, I was there for about 25 years. And at year 20, um, this chief diversity officer, Michael Escobar, came to me and asked me if I would be interested in moving into the work. And um, it was a very pivotal moment in my career because um, I was starting to get this passion for being involved in the community, helping employees. I was the president of the professional Latino Allstate Network there. Mm -hmm. And it just was a fit. Like, it was a really good opportunity for me to transition into this work. And as I got into it, I realized that, um, you know, being Latino um, was great, but just because I'm Latino doesn't mean I'd be good, a good DEI practitioner, right? And so um, I got into really going deep and learning, um, you know, Dr. Roosevelt Thomas, Andrea Estapia, Jennifer Brown, Howard Ross. I can give you a list of names of people that I just went in and really studied the craft. and I And I thought, you know, man, I'm really enjoying this. This would be really cool to make it a, a career. Let me see what can happen in the next five years. And in the next three years, Kraft Foods came knocking at the door and um, they gave me a challenge there at the company. When I went over, was the chief diversity officer. And then I had an opportunity to then go to Northwestern Mutual doing similar work but there, I learned, you know, more about learning and development. The so not only did I have all this business experience at Allstate, I had this diversity, equity, and inclusion experience that I I gained at um, at Craft um, that I built also at Craft, and now I got into the learning and development. So now I was in a position where I was learning how to design, how to uh, facilitate, and so I became a, a stronger practitioner, and then. The moment came when Granite Construction came and said, hey, listen, you know, we're interested in, in, in initiating this practice here at our company. Would you be interested? And for someone to come back to California, we were living in Chicago for you know 20 plus years. Um, it really was a great opportunity to reconnect with family, have a job that, that I really love. And also that was gonna challenge me to, to start thinking differently again. I was all in. So I, I would tell you that that really encapsulates you know, my, my bio, per se, from yeah. starting out as a recruiter all the way now, the work I'm doing here at Granite. Fantastic. Did Allstate take you to
0: Chicago? What took you from LA to Chicago?
1: It was Allstate, right? So Allstate, in Northbrook, okay. um, the home office was in Northbrook. Now it's going to be moving to Chicago, the city itself. But yeah, it was Allstate. Um, they gave me an opportunity. I tell people all the time, Um, I wish that people could see um, their careers through my eyes because it was all about opportunities. It was all about, um, you know, training, developing, and then all of a sudden getting an opportunity, doing good work, training, development, doing it, you know, and getting an opportunity. And that's what took me to Chicago.
0: How was it stepping outside of insurance uh, after you had to go to Kraft Foods after you had been so involved in it. was it uh, was it a bit overwhelming? Was it scary to step out of the industry and and go into a different
1: industry? You know, um, you know that wow, what a great question. So thank you for that, because you know, you put me on pause a little bit there because I also had to think about, um, where did I gain this um, dexterity or agility, right, to move from industry to industry? And I will tell you that I think it started with me moving from one, like going from LA to Chicago, just the fact of moving, getting out of that comfort zone of moving to a new city and experiencing something new, right? And, and you left your family. To do yeah, your, we left your family, mom to do that, right? left everything. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and I'll tell you that what I learned was that I needed to develop a way of, because um, I knew that that was going to happen more often again, right? Because of Allstate had a, a big and, and, and continues to have a big footprint throughout the United States that I was going to move to other cities. So what I had to do is I had created a framework that would enable me very quickly in the first 30, 60, 90 days to really get at a place where not that I gained comfort, but that I was able to shift and adapt to. So the thing that, that that helped me was it was five things, um, and I picked it along the you know I picked up on it along the way. I've always wanted to do be the best at whatever I was going to do, right? To do the right thing, to treat people the way they want to be treated. I wanted to dare to dream, to have aspirations, and to always be in in a in a world of continuous improvement. So when you ask me that question. When I went from Allstate to craft, and then in the industry was different, I, I, I literally asked myself, okay, so what is it going to take for me to be the best? What is it gonna take for me to do the right thing? What do I need to do here in this job, in this industry to treat people the way they want to be treated? How do I dare to dream? And what does that look like? And then ultimately, what does continuous improvement look like for me here in this work? And by by having those five things as a filter, it grounded me to To feel comfortable and not get caught up in the industry change, as you know, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, but it was yeah. almost about what I could do as an individual, not to have the intent, but to have the impact that I needed to have to be successful in, you know, consumer, you know, packaged goods. Right. Thank you. That's a very
0: in-depth answer. Um, after Kraft foods, you moved back to Northwestern Mutual. Did did you? You were still in the, I guess, greater Chicago mm-hmm. area, Milwaukee, Chicago area. So you stepped back into insurance. Um, but how, how did Granite find you or how did you find Granite? How did that so, come about?
1: So Granite found me um, and it, it, it just came at a time when I think um, – we were doing some really like really impactful work over at Northwestern Mutual. If you track the work that they've done in the last five years, when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, you're going to see some just incredible results that they had. And for me to just feel like I was a part of that is really exciting. And so during that work, um, you know, I, I think people noticed. And so granted, was looking for someone, um, and they reached out. And again, this is why earlier I said it was a calling. Like you know, it wasn't that I was looking to come to Granite. Granite came, you know, to me, and um, and it just it just felt right. Great, working in these three different industries: insurance,
0: food production and packaging, mm-hmm. and construction. Mm-hmm. How do these industries differ when it comes to Diversity.
1: Wow. Um, th- that is a really insightful question. And I'll tell you the easy answer is to say, oh, they differ a lot. But one of the things, and again, it goes back to the framework I I, 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 I use, right? Um, I would tell you that the insurance industry and consumer packaged goods were like though consumer packaged goods has more diversity per se, they've been at this work longer, but they also had a beginning to it. When in the early, in the early stages, there will be people like Jim Norman, right, who was the chief diversity officer that I followed, will tell you that Kraft Foods wasn't always as diverse as it is today. I will tell you that at Allstate, um, you know, someone like Carlos Herrera will tell you that Allstate wasn't as diverse as the way it is today, it always had a beginning, but 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 because of the comparison, we look at them what they what they're like today, and we look at construction, and we say, oh, it's different, right? It's more male dominated. Construction is more male dominated. Well, guess what? Insurance was male dominated at one point. Consumer packaged goods was uh, dominated, but it's the actions that were take that took place that created. The, um, created the impact that these different industries have had and why in 2021 we, we compare ourselves to those types of companies when construction is very nascent, right? It's um, in the early stages of this work. So right mm-hmm. away we say, why can't we be like those companies? Well, we were at one point. We all had a beginning. It's sure. just what you do with that intention. Do you actually take that intention in your heart and in your mind and create action. That's I think would be the other side of the difference, right? Like I could tell you that those companies took action, specific actions to be where they're at. Today, we're exploring, the industry is exploring what those actions could be in order to set us up in 20 years, someone will, someone like yourself will ask the same question of another person like me and say, hey, how did construction do it? Well, back in 2021, Companies took these types of actions. So uh, I'm trying to answer your question to be very specific, but what what I'll tell you is at a very high level, it's different because of the actions that these companies have been taking over time. We're just starting as an industry collectively to take those actions.
0: Had Granite taken um, action, had Granite been very proactive in uh, the discussion of DEI before you were hired or was was finding you and bringing you on board part of the start of them really focusing on diversity?
1: Well, I I, I would tell you now that I'm here and um, I'm involved in conversations with our board, I'm involved in conversations with leaders here at, at Granite, I will tell you that our board and and specifically Gotti Vasquez um, was ahead of this and was bringing it up, right? Um, We have board members who are very committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so, you know, when I present to the board and they share their thoughts about their commitment, what what really resonates for me and it validates the anecdotes that you hear in these stories is, is that the board was asking, right, our leadership certain questions that then our leadership took action to then say, we need someone and we need a practice. Because I'll tell you something that I think um, we don't really talk about, like in construction, especially here in California. And I got to believe there's pockets like in Texas, Florida, in the East Coast, like Virginia and so forth, where there are companies that have a large percentage of people of color right whether they're black or whether they're hispanic in their in their companies so we have brought the diversity into the workplace we have hired women maybe not at the numbers that i think people expect us to when you compare yourselves to you know consumer packaged goods and insur- you know financial services and so forth but there is a strong legacy of hiring people of color right in california we have latinos You know, almost 20, almost 30% of our population to include craft, right, is Latino. So that's a large percentage. So it's not that we haven't been doing it. I think it's just the focus hasn't been um, as, how do I say it, steered, right, in that direction. You know, there was people who were practicing safety in construction, But it wasn't until we had safety programs that we had a a lens on it, right? A a spotlight on it. So I I would tell you that that's what I would equate it to. That I think um, the practice itself may feel like it's new, but we have been doing it as an industry and we haven't been celebrating all the diversity that we have in an insurance company, right? And I'll tell you, my experience has been as a practitioner. We have a lot of the conversation when we talk about the word diversity is only about gender and ethnicity. And there's white men that we should have all along been had part of this conversation because white men are also diverse, right? And so um, when we get into this conversation, I think we need to step back, celebrate the diversity that we have today in the company. And then we talk about that here at Granite from an inclusive diversity perspective we say we're inclusive of all the diversity that we have here today, tomorrow, and into the future. And that includes all the diversity dimensions, including white men, right? So I, I wanna sure. be very, very spe- you know, intentional when I say that because I think um, when you ask questions about what's the difference, what's new, what are actions that are taking, and then to your question about Granite's approach, it literally was, the board having a conversation, asking questions, leadership, taking action. You know, we have, you know, our board is diverse, right? Our executive leadership team is diverse. And by action, you're going to start seeing that diversity play out within the company itself.
0: Sure. It, it seems to me, too, that the government has um, put... Actions into place to promote diversity and minority companies to get a foothold in the industry. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the Do you feel like the government is, does enough on their side to promote and be a practitioner of diversity versus the private sector? And the private sector is kind of catching up to uh, what the government has already tried to, to
1: initialize? Yeah, I, I think, I, I love the way you phrase that question because there's layers to it, right? If we think about all the work that was done um, in the 60s, starting in the 70s, of, of goals that were set by government, right? To, for companies to, con- to consider and act on we, we still have that same practice today, right? We have, you know, one of the works that I have as part of people and culture, I have workforce compliance. So we track affirmative action plans. We track um, our um, supplier diversity numbers. There's a lot of things that we track. I mean, even even in construction, the goals that are set for DBEs per se, you know, And these are uh, disadvantaged business enterprises, kind of thing, where goals are set that companies have to meet in order to secure certain jobs when you're working with municipalities and government. I would tell you that I don't know if we've done, we brought all the people in the room that need to be in the room to set those goals, per se, right? Because how do you come up with the goal of 17% or 20% or whatever? Um, And then when in, in a in a city you may not have the capacity to hit those goals but you need to bring people in so when you ask that question i would tell you that sometimes it seems like the easiest thing to do is to set up a number the hard part is how do you get to that number number first of all but number two understanding the marketplace to see if that even is possible Sure. Because because I think, you know, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. It's true. So 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 if you think about that, right, it's probably good intention to set up a goal like that for the purposes of getting more access to getting people to participate. And that is great intention. The issue is, is is the capacity truly there to hit that number? And if it's there, let's go. But if it's not there, let's understand it. Let's talk about it. Let's let's really get to the reason why we're trying to set these, these goals um, out there. So that's how, when, when you say that to me, that's what really resonates for me, is how do we get more people in the room to make those decisions that are needed to set goals like that? Right. Um,
0: going back to how you got into this, you mentioned quite a few names there of people that you had researched. Did you have Mm -hmm. a specific mentor that really helped guide you and direct you toward um, your research and, and connecting with these other people that were say earlier practitioners of uh, DEI or um, was this something where you sat down at your computer and Googled it and then kind of just, it was
1: all on your own. Um. So a little bit of everything that you just said. Um, I just remember going to a a workshop and it was uh, diversity best practices. And then another workshop that I went to was um, Diversity Inc had a a session and a gentleman by the name of Andres Tapia. And at that time he was working at uh, Hewitt uh, and Associates and now he's at Corn Ferry. And he is the gentleman who, coined the phrase, diversity is the mix, inclusion is making the mix work. And we were fortunate enough that we also, at Allstate, we hired him and his team to come in and do a diagnostic of the company. So it wasn't as though, like I said, hey, Andres, I need you to be my mentor, right? I just kept calling him, I kept asking him questions, I kept running into him, and he was so gracious in the wisdom that he shared that he also started telling me about um, other people, right? He told me, you know, to go read uh, Dr. Roosevelt Thomas, right? And the work that he had done. Um, you have folks that were um, like Jennifer Brown, for instance, she had partnered up with Cisco and she wrote the seminal paper on employee resource groups. Her, her, that, that document that she wrote like I digested that thing from beginning to end, and it became my roadmap into employee resource groups and understanding them. Um, you have people that were at McDonald's, um, that at Kraft, that I shamelessly stole ideas from. Right? Like I'd go to these workshops and, oh, I'm going to do that when, when I get back to Allstate. I'm going to do that when I'm at Kraft. Um, but that's how I did it. Um, you know, I literally became a student of the practice. Howard Ross, when it came to bias, um, yeah, I really didn't understand, like by, I I always thought that bias was such a bad word growing up. And I realized that if you have a brain now, David Rock out of the Neuroleadership Institute has an incredible practice that talks about the neuroscience and he has a, a diversity equity inclusion practice out of that. That really says if you have a brain you're biased right i never understood sure. that the optical nerve at any given time can see anywhere between 30 to 40 bits of data as it's scanning constantly but it could only process eight to ten of them so just think about that
0: that the, is bias right there your neurons are creating bias they're deciding what you're taking in and processing and what is getting
1: excluded? We all do yeah. that, right? We all do that, right? And then it, when we get into autopilot, you know, when people say like, oh, I can't believe I just, you know, ran that stop um, um, that stop sign. Well, you did it because you didn't see it because your brain didn't allow you to see it, right? Yes. Yep. Um, so that's yeah. the kind of stuff that like I got geeked up about and I studied it and it was a game changer because then I realized that... M- it, maybe in some situations it wasn't race that prevented something, you know, or from happening or it made something happen. Maybe it was just, just as simple as, I was looking but I truly didn't see. I was right. hearing, yes, but I wasn't yep. listening. And that was my brain doing it, right? It wasn't because I'm Latino or it wasn't because I'm white, or it wasn't because I was black. It was literally because of the way my brain is wired and the way it, it helps me, right? It protects me. My brain protects me from difference. That's, so when you ask me that question, yeah, that's how I got into it.
0: Sure. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't think that that's going to get us out of any uh, traffic tickets in the future. <laughs> no, no,
1: no, you can't use that. You can't use that, right? No, 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 <laughs> that's funny. Um, what,
0: what challenges are unique regarding DEI and the construction sector, would you
1: say? Or are there? Maybe they're not. Um, you know, I'm gonna tell you why I appreciate that question, Taylor. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why. So before I came into the industry, you know, my kids now are 22 and 21. But I can tell you what my son was four, my daughter was two. We were in Denver, and we were getting ready for a um, Halloween parade. I dressed my son as Bob the Builder. Yes. I dress my daughter as Minnie Mouse. I didn't even think I didn't even have inkling that I was going to work at a construction company. But my bias was. I can I feel comfortable seeing my son in his Bob the Builder outfit.
0: Sure. Because
1: I I think that's what he could do. My daughter, I never thought that she could ever work in the industry. Therefore, I'm going to dress her up as Minnie Mouse. So I share that with you because when when you ask me that question or when I get asked that question, the reason why I'm very quick to say that is is because I think one of the things is, is that as an industry, we know what a great industry it is. We know what we've been able to accomplish, what we've been able to build, what we have been able to do for society. We know that the job could be done by women, people of color. We know that. We know that through hard work, you could accomplish incredible things here in this industry. I think we haven't amplified that as an industry enough. And this is why your podcast is so important, I think. Um, We allow other people to tell the stories of the industry. And so we, by default, become that because people, are telling our story, we're not telling our story. Now, the other thing that we, um, because we've had such a history of it being very male dominant, right? We don't see, we, we know they can be done by women but we also struggle putting women in certain positions to do a certain work. Mm-hmm. And so we as an industry have to step back, I think, and say to ourselves, wait a minute, if in 20 years, this industry could have 30% to 40% women, and I'm just throwing out that number, not that I, you know, I'm just making up that number. If if that number in 2041 or 42 is 30, 40%, what would we need to do today to make sure that policies and practices and procedures, environments in the workplace are conducive for having women at that large percentage. It's almost like having that foresight and working backwards to see what we would have to do different.
0: That makes me, where my brain goes there is um, STEM. Um, and getting kids into that—all kids, you know—into mm-hmm. uh, science and technology at an early age. And 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 like exactly, I couldn't agree more with what you said about you know I dress my kid up as Bob the Builder. I mean, I've I've got a four-year-old boy, and you know he loves his Tonka truck loader book. It's one of his favorite mm-hmm. books, and mm-hmm. and he has his tool belt and w- loves wearing his hard hat and. And, uh, we only have one child, so we don't have the opportunity to, I guess, see, and especially with COVID too, where there haven't been a ton, ton of, uh, play friends coming over to our house, um, mm-hmm. over the past couple of years, but, um, really seeing girls, it is like you mentioned, it's the bias and what we were raised on our bias and what we think our kids want to play with, which creates their own bias. And, mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's perpetuating. And is this something that you feel like we'd, we need to, uh, is, is it something that would be helpful to break at, at that early, early on stage? Is that going to be important for
1: diversity, equity, inclusion in the future? Yeah, I, I would tell you, so I would build on what you just said, right? Because I think, yes, STEM is one approach. But let's let's go through this. Right. Let's go through this exercise. Let's say I go to kindergarten and I and, and I have all these toys and the girls are playing with the trucks and the building blocks, just like the boys are. Right. And then in first grade, I go back in second grade and we're building it up. Right. You and I are not going to be around by when those kindergartners graduate from college or decide after high school, 18 years from now you and I are gonna be doing something different, right? And you hope that that moment of interaction at kindergarten and first grade are, is gonna have such a significant impact that they're gonna go into the construction industry, right? So let's yes. do that. But here's here's what I've noticed because it happens in my family too. That moment where that the young child is playing with those trucks, building blocks, specifically a young girl, they're gonna go home and they're gonna say, hey, I want a truck. Hey, I want a building blocks. If the parents say, no, girls don't play with trucks. Girls don't play with building blocks. It's not like it, that, like inertia that just, it creates inertia for them not to think it's possible. So yes. we have to educate. This is where I get back to, and, 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 and you know I'm gonna age myself here, Taylor. Remember when um, there was an ad campaign, Got Milk? I remember got milk. Yes, absolutely. We as an industry need our got milk moment in two, in two situations, not only to inspire people to go into STEM and to pursue engineering degrees and so forth, but we also need that moment. We need people like we used to have that would go into the trades. Today, that's not a conversation we have other than the people in the industry saying we got to do it there was times there was high schools that would teach people to become plumbers, carpenters. There was high schools that would encourage people to say, listen, there's a great opportunity. You you could be an apprentice. You could go work for a company and in 10 years, you could buy your house. That still lives. That still happens. But we don't have that momentum of conversation with people. So I I, I
0: could not agree more. I, I see, uh, it, it happened to me. I mean, my, my family pushed for high school into college. You need a college degree Mm -hmm. to do something that will be successful. And my degree being in biology, which has nothing to do professionally with what I do Mm -hmm. now, that doesn't mean I didn't learn in college. I certainly learned a ton Mm
1: -hmm.
0: in college. And, uh, the other story that goes along with this is, uh, I have a friend who is uh, has an engineering degree from Cal Poly and mm-hmm. uh, went in and is doing aerospace engineering uh, and was working for Vanden, Vandenberg air force Base, okay. air space, air space now. Okay. Yes. And he quit his job because he was not fulfilled professionally and mm-hmm. went into the trades to become a plumber. Mm. Okay. And, um, and, and, but I believe that he was also raised with the same thought that this is what you do to be successful. Mm -hmm. You avoid the trades, you go to college, you use your mind, not your hands and your back to make money. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm not exactly sure where that bias started. Mm -hmm. Although I guess we can look at we, you can look at higher education, as, as, you know, from a cap, capitalist standpoint. I mean, they're they're in it to make money, so why wouldn't they promote uh, promote this idea that this is what you need to do mm-hmm. to uh, to to be successful? So, um, and and that maybe that the, the trades are not that successful, but you look at the the deficit, the huge deficit that we have right now in skilled labor mm-hmm. and the trades. Um, can, can you share a little bit of insight with with your experience with that in, and how it relates to construction and granite?
1: Well I'll tell you it's not just even granite, right? It's the whole industry. And there's a it's the whole industry. I, yeah. So so I wish I, I knew who said this, but there's a there's a statement that says we are perfectly aligned to get the results we're getting. And what that resonates for me is you think about all the people who build the highways here in the United States, who build the bridges, the tunnels and stuff. And all of a sudden, as as we lo- we lost this talent pool of people in the trades, we, we, we as a country haven't kept up with it. And so now when you ask me that question, you're right. We have this great opportunity with this, this, this bill that was passed, right? and. We're looking for people, the industry's looking for people to come in and work on these roads, work on these bridges, work on these tunnels, work on these projects. And we have a deficit of, of talent. So this is why this discussion on workforce development then tilts towards bringing more women in, bringing other talent pools that maybe we have not brought in in, in the past. And so this is why it's so important to open up our aperture of our thinking in order to see the talent pools, a little bit different. The same talent pools that were coming into the industry are not the same. Therefore, we have to look at other talent pools. That's how I'll answer your question about how we see it at Granite. This is a workforce development conversation, not just for today, by the way, but this is for the next five to ten years.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, with the infrastructure bill and the, mm-hmm. the funding that's expected for the industry, it. Uh, the shortage only seems like it's going to get worse. Um, we recently ran a poll on LinkedIn. Uh, I have six over 16,000 connections in construction mm. on LinkedIn and uh, the, the poll question was, would you support an immigration policy that let more immigrants into the country if they got training to go into construction Mm-hmm. Um, and as, you know, skilled, unskilled labor. And overwhelmingly, I think it was close to two thirds mm. agreed that that type of program or situ- situation would benefit the industry. And it would also, of course, bring more diversity to the industry
1: mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, and Taylor, let me, let me jump in here because I think you, you just said something that, that like, it's a nuance in your question but I think it's important to bring out. It's not just bringing more immigrants into the country. It's thinking about the people that are already here that with training would benefit an industry like construction. Absolutely, yes. We have, right? I mean, and I think it's the nuances as we look at it and we say, just it's kind of like a diversity, equity, inclusion thing, right? Like we think about diversity of of the talent that we're bringing in new, but we never think of the talent that's already here. And in, in, in the way you asked the question for me, it's like, it's not just about the people that are coming in, it's the people that are here. That yeah. there is a workforce that could fill the capacity that we're looking for.
0: Yes. And I think uh, for me, the question goes to, do we, pull, do we have to pull that workforce from a different industry to get them into construction? I don't know that there are enough unemployed workers that are capable to fill the void that we're going to see here in the future. So then it makes it, I think, an issue for the industry to make it attractive to to a more diverse population to come into the industry. And I think the industry, because of its history, uh, faces a lot of challenges with that. Um, you know, construction is known for 50 plus hour work weeks, you know, right out of the gate. Um, uh, often very long commutes, uh, uh, having to relocate from one place to another for projects, uh, mm-hmm. depending on the project size. Um, now, there's also a lot of selling points to it, too. The, the built environment is massive you can't you can't go very far without being exposed to the built environment mm-hmm. and our infrastructure is very important to that and to we basically have to go back to being Neanderth- neanderthals to go back to uh not having a built environment so it, it is it, it's really kind of essential for life as we know it now um so what do you what do you think how do you do you believe that there is a tactic or are you implementing a tactic there at granite trying to grab this workforce from outside of the industry and make the industry more attractive
1: so so it kind of builds on what you were just saying right i think we're taking a 360 view of this right we're we're taking a look at things that have helped us in the past but modernizing our thinking to see the impact that can make into the future. And what do I mean by that? What type of programs did we have in the past? And you touched upon it, right? Like, do we go to the grade schools? Yeah, we go to the grade schools so that 20, 30 years from now, we have a talent pool of people that can think about construction, but that doesn't serve us now. So what is it, you know, what partnerships, what strategic partnerships do we need to have with uh, our unions, the unions that we work with? Um, How do we amplify the opportunity that's available in the, in the industry. So someone who is at McDonald's right now, right? And, and this is not to talk bad about McDonald's, but who wants to make more money with better benefits and greater opportunity can think about this. Like the service industry has a lot of people that could work for us, right? Because I think also we have to be very mindful that we almost sometimes we bifurcate, right? Like construction. There's people with degrees and people with no degrees. Yes. And the people with no degrees actually are the ones that are putting in the time like to build the roads, to do the building, right? The people with Absolutely. degrees, the people with degrees, not not to take anything away from people with degrees, right? But we're the ones that are like the thought leadership about doing this, doing that, right? We guide people. But we need more people with rough hands that could push dirt like a granite Yes. Like we need more people that when we take on a job, that we have enough people that can go out there and do it, not just to speak it. And I, that, that's how when I say we bifurcate, right? Um, we, we almost think that you need a degree to do this work. And no, no, you don't. Um, because there's a lot of jobs that you don't need a degree. So I want to be very mindful of that, that that that, that, that that's how we're looking at the work 360, what's worked in the past. What strategic relationships are we building, and then how are we amplifying this great opportunity that lives in the construction in industry? I think uh, for me too, the thought that a lot of it comes
0: into the learning and development for those that are, that enter the industry at, at the labor operator out in the field, uh, you. Know, uh, we say up, up from the trenches mm-hmm. that their career they'll have, they'll have enough professional development that their career will not get stymed by not having a degree. I think a lot of the uh, prejudice thought is that if you enter the industry without a degree, that you might not be able to go as far or as quickly as someone as a degree, even though we just ran another poll on LinkedIn that, um, that shows that people uh the the laborers operators in the field typically make more money than uh someone right out of college entering the industry as mm-hmm. well so mm-hmm. it in i guess from that perspective there is equity mm-hmm. right i mean uh yeah. absolutely there's 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 equity in, in that perspective so
1: but you know what think- we haven't what we haven't done though in, in and i think this is a is something that I think maybe for another day to talk about is there were people right back in the fifties and sixties who went into construction and made a really good living and bought their homes and became the fabric of our middle-class here in the United States. Some of them even left, you know, the, the company that they were working for and started their own companies. Yes. Right. And then hired more people that opportunity still lives today. Now granted the cost of living has changed, right? So someone going into the trades, buying, you know, uh, a house in California maybe take a little longer, right? Than someone that may have done it in the 40s and 50s. I get that. But there are people who can come into this industry, make a great living, um and 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 be good at it. And some of these folks sometimes don't aspire other than to just make a living and do good work. I think what we try to do is we try to amplify what success looks like based on a certain filter. And and I think recently we've said, you got to get a four-year degree, right? If you go right now and and if you go to a school and get a four-year degree in psychology and you're going to be a tradesman, you could have been a tradesman right after high school, right? Without going those four years to get that psychology degree.
0: And you may have debt as well from as going well that degree. exactly yeah.
1: exactly so 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 i think what we're talking about here is we as an industry owe it to ourselves to be able to tell that story and amplify it better than how people talk about our industry
0: yes yeah i i couldn't agree with you more um Gosh, we have. I know I'd sent you a list of questions that I was hoping yeah. to cover, and we've we have just we've get, we've done a lot of good work here. But I know yeah. we're also starting to run short of time here. So, mm-hmm. um, I I would. Uh, I'm I'm interested to understand what policies or procedures you have implemented uh, with Granite that you feel have had the biggest impact, and how. You might what you might suggest to smaller construction companies in regards to what what can they do now to have a huge meaningful impact and set the course for uh, being them being a practitioner of diversity and equity and inclusion?
1: Yeah, no, so when you ask me that question, I think it's um, again, it has a lot of layers, so very, very. I commend you for the questions, right? Um, I would tell you that the first thing is be curious. Have the courage to know that around you, there are companies that have taken the initiative to go like to participate in this conversation. They participated. Now you've got companies that are engaged in this conversation, meaning that they're actually you know, having people um, participate in things. And, 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 and ultimately, you need to focus on it because if this conversation is about workforce development, this conversation is about creating an environment to where people stay within your company, right? Talking about inclusion requires you to understand that harassment, bullying, sexual, you know, that kind of stuff has to stop. Because people will leave, right? Yes. If you're not thinking about these policies and how, the, how it impacts, I'll tell you, we're going to have to think about as an industry. I know some companies have done it, but, but they think about it in, at the office level. But just think about it at the worksite level. If we have more women becoming tradespeople and they start families and we want them to come back to their jobs, we're going to have to think about family. Like things like childcare in the morning, picking up kids in the afternoon, women who are breastfeeding, thinking about creating environments where they can pump and be able to store. We're going to have to be thinking about more, more than just one porta potty at a work site. Sure. Right. Yes. And, and so, yes. So, when you, so when you say, when you ask me that question specifically about granite, we've done like three things. We've looked at how we prioritize this work. We looked at the systems that we have in place, and how do we see them through a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens? And then ultimately, what are the habits that we want to create? And one of the first things that we did was we realized that this isn't about diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? If this is about only diversity, you're only going to focus on the representation. If this is only about inclusion, you're only going to be thinking about the environment. You need to be doing those things. Equity is an output um, in the way we look at it. So... You can't have, like a like my kids would eat hamburgers, but not eat the French fries, like my son. My daughter would love the French fries, didn't wanna eat the hamburger. You can't do this with diversity and inclusion. So that's why we call it inclusive diversity. We don't separate it. We wanna be inclusive of all the diversity that we have. So that you may feel comfortable talking about race today, but now you're gonna be thinking about pronouns. Now you're gonna be thinking about, you know, issues around the LGBTQ community that we have to be thinking about. Now you gotta think about neurodiversity. Now you gotta think about families, right? Like men coming to you saying, hey, I can't make it at six o'clock. I, I can make it at eight because I have chi- children I have to take care of. Yes. And our bias can't be, well, let your wife do that or let your girlfriend do that. No, I'm like, I'm divorced and I'm a single dad. I have this responsibility. I'd love to work for your company. Or I can't work for you anymore. Why is it? Well, because the time doesn't work for me. So that when you ask that question, we're going to have to open up our aperture. And I thought, I know I said that before and think differently about these policies and procedures that we have put in place because it worked in a 90% male environment.
0: Uh, Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that that is another thing that I didn't mention that uh, perception that people have about the construction industry, Mm -hmm. you know, early mornings, long days, 50 hour work weeks, not, not having flexibility. I felt like there was a silver lining in COVID that really forced the industry to change and consider remote, partial remote work for mm-hmm. some of these workers, the ones that weren't required to be at the job sites. Mm-hmm. And we've seen for the most part the industry step back on a lot of those policies. Um, but I I feel like it it there there was a silver lining that showed the the industry that it it was possible to be productive and not have to be in the office every day at seven with with certain roles.
1: Well, you know, um, Taylor, you asked this question earlier about getting people from other industries there are people right now in work environments where they they technically had to wear a tie and they don't want to wear a tie right yeah. they don't yeah. want to be in an office from 9 to 5 why do i know that is because there's some folks that open up their garages and have these amazing setups where they're building tables chairs they have incredible backyards they use their, they want to use their hands but they yes but they don't know how to do that right how to how to be that way our industry like needs people like that right absolutely and and we have a job for them yeah you you don't want the
0: you want the people like myself who work from an office but what they really look forward to is getting outside for that run to get that exercise and being out in the sunshine being out in the environment yeah and uh yeah i could i couldn't agree more I look at, uh, I look at landscapers and say, gosh, mm-hmm. you know, there are many days I wish I was a landscaper or, <laughs> or, you know, working for a construction company. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. So That's I couldn't awesome. agree more. Um, I would love for you to tell us about your podcast sure. and the work that you guys are doing, and we'll make sure to include a link in, um, in our introduction uh, for our podcast so that people can find you, but please tell us about it.
1: Yeah, so we call it Construction DEI Talks and the DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So it's a podcast specifically where we have a conversation around DEI in the construction industry. We bring subject matter experts around DEI, we bring construction people, we bring the associations, the unions, we bring practitioners, to have this discussion like we're having right now and demystify this conversation here for the industry. Um, Stephanie Roldan, who works at Rosaden, Teosha Baker-Bunch, who also works at Rosaden in the training de- de- um, department. Then we have Abby Combs, who works at Granite. The four of us co host um, the podcast. And it's been really cool to see how People have jumped in and gravitated to to the things that we're talking about. Number one, but number two, that we're also having this real, authentic conversation. That we have other people from other industries join, you know, listening in. So it's been really exciting. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that.
0: Yeah, and so uh, they can find it on pretty much all the outlets. Um, yeah, Spotify, what, what, Apple. Uh, any iTunes. podcast
1: platform we're on it right the the one that that people go to and the majority of our listeners is apple podcast yep but we're on okay. google we're on stitcher we're on um spotify you name it yes
0: great fantastic and is this a, a monthly podcast how often are you guys so we're dropping two episodes per month now two episodes so, a month yeah, how, long, yeah. How, how, how many
1: what episode are you up to now. Right now, we're ending season one where an episode, we just recorded 12, um, um, episode 12. And so we're going to stop the season one and we're going to kick off season two here in about two months.
0: That is fantastic. That sounds like a lot of good work. And that might be a great place for uh, construction professionals who are interested in learning more. Yes. About this, yes, to go right, yes, so, exactly.
1: You can listen in a safe environment, however, safe you want it, you can get into the conversation that way. Yes, well said, fantastic. And for anybody,
0: I mean, our podcast as well is really focused at the construction industry as a whole. But just in case there's somebody out there listening that might be, uh, well, in the construction industry or outside the construction mm-hmm. industry. Um, do you want to tell them a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about granite and what makes granite a wonderful place to work?
1: Well, so thank you for that. Right. So we are a vertically integrated company. Um, you know, for those in the industry, right. We, we do aggregates, we build bridges, highways, airports, you know, we, we do a lot from an infrastructure perspective. Um, we are, you know, a national company and, um, The reason I think why it makes our company, the company that it is, is, I should say, is, is that we're really grounded on our core values right? of safety, integrity, excellence, sustainability, and inclusion. Those are the things that really ground us in how we view the work, how we do the work, how we engage with people. So when we go out and recruit, we keep those values in mind. When we partner up with joint ventures, we keep that in mind um and, and sometimes you know one 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 could say like do we do we hit a home run on all five sometimes we work at it right it's and that's why this inclusion piece is so important not that we're learning how to be inclusive I think we all know we all in our in our inside of us know what that means but it's how we practice it that that I think is, is, is what's pertinent to this conversation here
0: Great, great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that uh, you'd like to mention um, before I let you get back to the rest of your, the good work that you're doing at Granted? You know,
1: you know, I, I would tell you that one of the things that hit me as you were you were asking me questions, there's a quote by, um, I think the, the, the people were uh, Grunert and Whitaker. And the reason why this work is so important, that the culture of any organization is shaped by the worst behavior right? that you're willing to tolerate. And the reason why that hit me as as, as you asked me that question is is because this diversity, equity, and inclusion really is about culture, the culture you have at your company. And what what you want in your culture is a culture where people can value the differences in people and the similarities that can be inclusive to bring those, co- those people together and make it work. You'll get the belonging, you'll get the equity as a byproduct of you having good, strong, inclusive, diverse practices. So that's, I guess, giving me the extra time. That's what I would say.
0: Great. Well, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think culture, company culture should do more to celebrate all aspects of diversity. Right, mm-hmm. not just not just include them or recognize them, but actually celebrate celebrate them. Um, and yeah, and I think that the, the industry overall, which this is a, a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down. Yeah, uh, it struggle. Many companies struggle to identify their culture versus their competitors' culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and but obviously, Granite is a leader in in taking steps and have you at the controls here to help, um, to help do that and really, really create a unique culture that is special and attractive, right. To this, this dwindling, uh, workforce that we have and, um, and, and really trying to be proactive and, um, I don't know if sly the right word of figuring out how to bring people from other industries into construction, making it more attractive uh, based on the company culture.
1: Yeah, no, thank you, Taylor, for acknowledging that. And um, I think innovation just doesn't live with products or with thinking of projects. Innovation also lives with how we amplify the good work that's being done at Granite the good work that's being done in our industry to let people see what a wonderful opportunity we have in the industry and at Granite. Absolutely. Jorge, thank you so much. And
0: um, I really appreciate you making time for us today. And um, yeah, uh, if there's anything else we can do on our end to help, please feel free to reach out. Taylor, thank you for having me on the podcast. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening We hope you found this episode of Digging interesting. I will ask just one thing of you. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. We welcome your feedback and ideas for future podcasts and guests. To connect with us, please email me at taylorm at hcrc.us. We want to thank everyone who contributes to the making of Digging, including Lucas West on sound design, Josh Roberts for the kick-ass music, and our clients for making it possible for us to fund this idea and make it a reality. And one last plug: if you are in need of exceptional talent capture in the heavy civil construction industry, or consultation regarding the future of your career in the industry, please visit www.hcrc.us or contact us at eight two eight. Thank you, and we'll see you soon for the next episode of Digging.